Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hola, and welcome to a big interview from the vault. Look, all right, no fooling around. We asked our socios, our members, our supporters at patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter to pick their favourite from season two of this long running and I have to say much loved show. You're about to hear one of the interviews they picked as the best from a selection which included international footballers representing Germany, Italy, the Netherlands, Bulgaria, Argentina, England, Scotland and Northern Ireland. Here's what I had to say about this one when we recorded during season 2016-2017. Four years that Steve McManaman spent at Real Madrid can be summed up in two Champions League wins, two league titles, and one remark from Johan Cruyff who described the Merseyside Madridista as el socio de todos, a partner to everybody on the pitch, i.e. the guy that if you give the ball you get it back in a better position than you did before, somebody who links play. It's a good description of Steve, I think. Maca would have needed the help of an interpreter to translate such an endorsement during his early days in Spain. But you're about to hear how he overcame the language barrier by throwing himself into the social side of life at Real Madrid. Steve talks about his ambition to leave Liverpool and play abroad, the unexpected challenges of joining one of the biggest club teams in the world, and the second home he discovered in a dressing room which was supposed to be in turmoil. Steve's got happy memories of the Camp Nou and Champions League nights. His deft, clever chip over Roberto Bonanno established a crucial two-goal lead in the semi-final Clasico during his time with Madrid, the season that led to his second Champions League medal. But there was frustration too. Maka recalls the growing tensions between the players and the club's hierarchy, which culminated in a series of late-night team meetings to debate whether or not to celebrate the 2003 league title publicly. Astonishing scenes they were. He discusses the brilliance of Ronaldo, the Brazilian one, and how Zidane was not an instant hit as a player at Madrid. Plus there's Claude Macalelli, a footballer who was more important than Luis Figo and whose departure marked the end of that famous Madrid Galacticos era. Maca knew when it was time to move on. And he knows how to tell his story. I think you'll agree with me. Enjoy it now. It's 
Steve, as I, as I say to every one of my guests, because they're hand-chosen, because they're people I admire, they're not just people of achievement, I think it's a privilege to have you here, because you brought me, as a lover of football, I'm a journalist, a lot of fun, you showed adventure, you came abroad, you dominated your life by choosing new things that you fancied, and you won at the game, I think that's a brilliant thing in life to do. But the guy who's featured most regularly across all these podcasts when I interview people has been Cruyff because of my admiration for him and I think he's the most important man in the history of organised football. And a phrase that he used about you is a phrase that I spent the summer with Federico Ardiles, Ozzy Ardiles' son, and Feddy said that everybody always used to call Ozzy Ardiles el socio de todos, the guy who could link with, look after, be a friend to everybody on the pitch. And that's what Cruyff said about you, el socio de todos. Yeah. Cruyff. A genius and a man who influenced football more than anybody else looked at you and said, there's not just a gifted player, certainly not just a winger. There's somebody who makes the team function. How much do you associate yourself with Johan Cruyff's description of you? I think at Madrid, I, I presume he said it about me when I was at Madrid, and I think that was... You know, it was probably a lot truer at Madrid. I don't think it, it, I wasn't that type of player at Liverpool. I was more of a maverick at, at Liverpool and... I needed to be a leader at Liverpool on the pitch, really. Where you come, then you come to Madrid, and of course, you know, I've come to a different a different country. People speaking different languages, and we had our own leaders at Madrid. Where I was, you know, at Liverpool, I needed to step up and be the leader to a certain extent at Liverpool. In Madrid, we had the Hieros, we had the Rauls, and I was very much under the radar then. You probably became much more of a of a team player, and to be very honest, it was quite easy because we had some wonderful players at Madrid. And it was quite easy just to fit in. You know, you get the ball, you pass it to your mate. You know, we were, we were so much better than a lot of the teams around. It, it, football became a lot easier. Where at Liverpool, I, I always felt that, certainly at, right at the end of my career at Liverpool, the onus was on me to make things happen. Where at Madrid, we had seven people who could make things happen. So it was quite easy to get the ball and pass it to someone who's in a better position than you. And they could pass it to someone who's in a better position than them. You know, invariably somebody created that little bit of magic because we had so many people who could do that and we'd win games and we'd win trophies and it was a very happy place to be. But you came to that conclusion yourself analytically. You could see, and so already we're talking about uh, football intelligence that goes beyond what you could automatically do as a football player. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. I mean, if you're the one who's in the best position, you go and do it. We had, you know, a a huge amount of um, trust, a huge amount of faith in your teammates. We were all very close and we knew that. We had so many good players... You know, that if someone was in a better position than you or, you know, you give it to them and they do the magic. You know, if it was Luis Figo, it was his turn to do the magic. And if it wasn't him, it was Zizou who would do the magic. And then if it wasn't him, it would be Raul or Ronaldo. As my career went on at Real Madrid. So, um, yeah, you had to trust your teammates. They were your family, weren't they? And if someone was in a better position than you, you can't be selfish. The higher up the chain you go and the better the better footballers you play with, I think they get it. They get it. I think they do. I don't think it's about me, me, me. People said to me, I always remember people back then were saying to me, you know, what's it like to play with Zidane? Because at the time, we know that Florentino handpicked Luis and, you know, Zizou, and we got the best. But they came into the dressing room. I mean, Zizou didn't speak the language at the time. I mean, you, you know him, he's, he's quite reserved and quite humble and quite quiet. And he came into the dressing room, the greatest player in the world, and, you know, sat down and didn't say a word and just did his magic on the pitch. So it, it was easy to integrate, as I said. The bosses in our team were Raul, principally at the start, with Manolo Sanchez, then Fernando Hierro, then Raul. That's two to start with. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Spanish, Madrid down, you know, yeah. right through the core, and it was all about the team, and we couldn't have any egos, 
and we were more than happy. You know, we didn't want any egos. We were here to win. We were here to play, and we were here to do our best. So, you know, I came into the dressing room more than happy. I think there was a transitional stage when I turned in, and Pedro Miatovic had just left, and Davos Sukar had just left, and there was a lot of rumours. Clarence Seedorf was just going when I was there. You know, people were saying to me, oh, that dressing room's this, and that dressing room's, you know, they're all fighting with each other. And I turned up, and it was a really nice place to be, actually. And um, I fitted in no problem at all. Even though I didn't learn the language, I couldn't be abrasive and loud because I didn't know the language. But I, I fitted in and got on well with everybody straight away. And I just thought, you know, this is home, really. Shoot me down immediately, which you're quite capable and you're welcome to do. But I wonder when you're growing up, if, if some of the things you learned and then applied at Real Madrid, which helped you, I think, make the team better on a consistent basis and also made you a footballer who stood out and won trophies did you learn some of that you, you were an Everton supporter I was an Everton supporter yes the Everton team you grew up watching which I guess must shape your concept of what football is mm-hmm. about yeah. it matches all the descriptions you've used about what yeah. you want to do at Madrid very tight knit very hard working mm-hmm. working for each other devastating unit despite you could pick out several players yep. who were extraordinarily talented yeah were you conscious of that influencing you? Or when you look back, did it influence you? Or is that rubbish? It had nothing to do with it because um, your, your hard drive had that in your yeah, head anyway. I mean, the, I, I turned out to be the person I was and the player I was solely down to my family, really, you know, I presume. I wasn't an idiot and they would never have let me be an idiot or they would never let me be arrogant or they would never let me be self-centred. You know, my father wouldn't have allowed that. Watching Everton was great and I think joining Liverpool at 16 helped me as well because... 16, I was what? That was 88. Liverpool were in their pomp then. They were great. They were a great team. You know, I had John Barnes. You know, people know I cleaned John Barnes' boots back in the day where, you, you know, you're cleaning boots and doing this. And to learn from these characters, Barnes, Whelan, Nickel, Hansen. I had the greatest teachers in, in, in the world and they weren't arrogant. They just wanted to win. And whether it was Kenny Dalglish and Roy Evans and Ronnie Manam, you know, they'd win and it'd be right, right, forget about that. Let's go and win again. And... They just taught you, you know, the most incredible values. Forget about winning. We just won the league. Boom, that's gone now. We need to win again. And you were just driving forward. So to train, to play, to mix with these players as a 14, 15, 16-year-old apprentice for two years before literally training with them every day and joining them. They taught you everything that should be correct about football. You know, nowadays we, we get a bit lost in the, the money and, you know, the 16-year-olds are getting looked after. You know, they're getting everything before they've actually achieved anything on the pitch nowadays. You don't even have to sort of play to be wealthy or you don't even have to play football to actually achieve something. So you know, the values that you were taught back in the day are great. And I, th- I think that's why you don't want to harp back onto it. But football now needs to sort of go backwards and start to reinvent itself again. I actually remember my apprentice years the YTS years with great fondness and at 16 and 17 I was training with the first team all the time so I was quickly became one of them at a young age and you know they had to look after me because I was this 17 16 17 year old scout lad who was traveling with them permanently you know not not getting changed because you know there might have only been 11 and two subs I'd always be 15th man or 16th man but I was part of the first team squad very, very quickly. A year before I actually made my debut, I was one of their team or one of their squad. But you're 16, you're a very good player. You're making it into the Liverpool setup. You win a couple of games, you win a youth cup. I think it's more natural to go, well, look where I've arrived to. Look what I'm, you know, you're cocking them mm. up without ever losing yourself. Yet you were being shown or told. And yeah. I don't know if it was more shown or told by Nickel, by Hanson, mm. by Douglas, by Sunis, whoever it might be. That's nothing. That's nothing. That's nothing. That's Absolutely. Nothing. Absolutely, it's nothing. My manager at the time was Kenny Zalbish. He was the greatest player ever, wasn't he? If you're a Liverpool fan and I'm playing for Scot- Liverpool or Scottish, <laughs> he was like, it's Kenny Zalbish. 
when you play for Liverpool and then when you go on to play for Real Madrid, the history is all around you. And it's not about winning the Youth Cup or winning a reserve league or winning a game on a Saturday for, for the first team. It's Kenneth Alglish scoring against Bruges. It's, I don't know, Phil Neal scoring penalties in, in Rome. It's lift, well, Graham Souness lifting the European Cup. It's Phil Thompson lifting the European mm-hmm. Cup, Eminent Hughes. That's what's on the wall all around you. So you've actually never arrived unless you replicate and you add to the history. You're never as good as what's gone on before you. And it's the, when I arrived at Real Madrid, it was... It was Imprinted, you know what it's like. It was imprinted into you. Got Alfredo De Stefano was the club president, or you know the honorary president. They've won it five times. You know, I, I arrived in 1999, and they just had a barren year that year. But the year before, 98, they'd won the. So it's like European cups. Forget that. You've won the league. Pfft, who cares about the league? You have to win the European Cup, and it's this. You know, they talk about the undecimal now, don't they? And what's going to happen again? And what? So this strive to. It's never good enough. You win the league and you win the Champions League. Fine. Yeah, you have to win the Champions League next year. So when we won it, and then we, we lost the year after in the semi-finals and won the league, it's like, mm, yeah, but you never won the Champions League one, again, Champions you haven't retained it, so then you have to go and do it again. So it was, um, it was never, ever enough. You know, we need, to, we need to repeat it, and you know, Madrid have just won it, but it's like they instantly talk about, right, we've won it now, we've won it 11 times, isn't it great, let's celebrate, but can we be the first team to retain it in, in the modern era, you know, in this, the Champions League format? Can we retain it? So everybody's looking forward again, aren't they, straight away? Straight away. And we've won it 11 times, aren't we? Great, yeah, we are great. Let's see if we can win it at 12. And if we win it at 12 and we retain it, we will be regarded as one of the greatest teams in the world. Can we win it and win the league? Because that is nigh on impossible nowadays. It really is hard to do. Can we win the Champions League and our, and our domestic league? And that's what the good teams and the good players are constantly thinking about. You actively wanted to play abroad. Yes. Right? It, it was a desire, above and beyond the fact that it fell into your lap. There was such a thing as a Bosman move. Mm. And you could move for free, and that was beneficial contractually. That's nice. Yeah. We, all work, we all work to live. But you, you had some sort of yearning to, I don't yeah. know, test yourself, learn. Tell me what it was, other than just playing for Real Madrid, yeah. that drove you to say, yeah, I want something continental in my life. Yeah, it certainly wasn't... Um, the Bosman thing was, was one of those things, but it certainly wasn't financial because the money Liverpool offered me at the end to stay and join them was, was virtually on a part. I actually just wanted to, to leave. I wanted to go and play abroad. At that time, I'd never played in the Champions League, which was a huge thing. And Liverpool, back in the days of, you know, you needed to, to be champions to play in the Champions League or... You know, I hadn't played in the Champions League. I was playing really good football and I needed to test myself, I think. You know, my mother had just passed away in the May, right at the end of the season, but I'd already made that decision to go. I needed to... I don't know what it was at the time. I needed to go. I felt as if I didn't want to play in the Premier League anymore. I didn't want to play for someone against Liverpool. I wanted to go and test myself. I was playing really good football, so... I had the right type of clubs that were were interested in me, and of course Barcelona, you know, Juventus, Real Madrid, yeah, yeah. To, to name but three. Yeah, to good, yeah, good teams. Yeah, and I could have gone to Italy. I was nearly going to go to Italy early on. I was taking Italian lessons that year, thinking about going to play in Italy. With Juve spo- being yeah, the, the yeah, prime, I think, I think so. Yeah, I'd spoken to Ian Rush. I think I'd spoken to David Platt. You know, I, I said what was it like and things like that. December, January came around, and then Madrid were interested. And I thought, you know what? They just won the Champions League. That famous white kit. The lure of playing at Juventus at the time were amazing, of course. Again, the likes of Platini and all that. Those iconic figures that were inbred in your mind. But then, you know, Madrid came along and they just won the that club, whatever it was called, the Tokyo Club World yep. Intercontinental Cup yep. at, the, at the time. They just won that. And they were the best team in the world. 
So it was like, well, you know, that's not bad. You know, they were officially crowned the best team in the world, albeit that year they, I think they finished second in the league, I'm not sure. But it was like, wow, you know, you've got the opportunity to, to join Real Madrid. You know, that iconic white shirt, De Stefano era, best team in the world. What were the barriers? Were there nerves? Absolutely. Did you worry about the language? Absolutely, yeah. Domestically, did you think about, is it the right place for me to live? Aside from the football. What, what were the thoughts? The thoughts were, this is going to be really difficult. I'm going to need to learn the language. I started taking Spanish lessons quite early on, but then my mother was very ill at the time, and I stopped the Spanish lessons. I used to have a tutor come round to the house, and I said to him, you know what, leave it. I don't want him around the house with my, my mother very ill upstairs. And um, So I was taking little, little bits of Spanish lessons whenever I could, but that was my only concern. The city I knew was a beautiful city. I lived in Liverpool. Everywhere was going to be bigger. Everywhere was going to be sort of better than Liverpool because it was only a small town of, what, 500,000 people, half a million people. So I knew it was going to be a change. The main thing was the language barrier. That was, that was it. It was like, I'm going to have to learn the language. When I actually got to Madrid, it probably wasn't as organised. It probably wasn't as more of a family club than Liverpool. You know, they were big and they were a huge club, but... They were a little bit disorganised, you know, there was no players' lounge, there was no this. I always remember the following year, actually, when Florentino came in and Butregueño, when he brought El Butre with him. I remember Butre saying to me, what did they have in Liverpool? You know, did they have a players' lounge? Did they have a creche? Did they have this? And I said, well, Liverpool had this, 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 this. And, and now it's a, it's a million miles away from what it was. But, you know, I always remember my wife turning up to watch the game and just standing outside, you know, in the freezing cold, waiting for the players. She used to call it the pig pen. Everybody used to stand there in this corrugated area, freezing cold, waiting for all the players it's to finish the game, get changed and come out. It's literally ridic- yeah, ridiculous, isn't ridiculous it? ridiculous at the time. And I just thought, oh, my God. Your book's very good. And I went back and read it at the time. And they, they didn't even help you find a place to live, did they? No, not really. It was a case of, again, back then, you've joined the best team in the world. Get on with it. Get on with it. But... You know, as I said, as I said, but in in the I think I said in the book, I turned up a couple of months before in the summer. I'm never told Real Madrid and started house hunting on my own, so nobody knew. So I turned up on a Friday or whatever and organised, you know, twenty houses to look at without Real Madrid knowing. I'd sorted out my house then, so I, I picked a house on that fact finder mission and said, right, paperwork, blah blah blah. It'll take six weeks to, so I can move in, and it was like, well, cool. So. When I arrived back for pre-season training, I moved into a house. There was no five suitcases in a hotel room for me. I was in. I was in the house. And then I went back. I picked a house and went back to the airport. And the press were waiting for me at the airport. And they were like, you know, we can't believe you're here. And nobody knew about it. And I was like, yeah, OK, I'll see you later. And I was back on the plane back to Liverpool. My house was done. So it was just a matter of moving in and getting, you know, getting some furniture in and making it livable. I've always felt, uh, while you were playing here and subsequently when you went away... Something that you did, your comportment, your like, maybe your bravery on the ball, like, give me the ball, I'll do mm. something with the ball. If the team's not working, I'll make something happen. So, I think you approach football irrespective of wanting to win all the time. You showed fun, you showed football. Yes, definitely. Friendly Absolutely. side. Absolutely. Am I right? And that's what, or certainly the, I feel them, the fans and the media think this about you. I think you were liked and respected as a character, even above what you were yeah, at Madrid. I think so. I think so. I was always a very friendly type of play, uh, person anyway. So, um, you know, I was at Madrid, and even though I couldn't speak the language initially, I was always, you know, I'd always smile, I'd always shake hand, people's hands, I'd always say hello to people. I was never, you know, I was never cold or frosty with people. I'd always sign autographs, 10 minutes just to sign a few autographs, whatever. I'd get trophies off some of the fans, like, you know, the best person in the dressing room, you know, and things like that. And you think to yourself, even though I didn't understand it, I had a decent relationship with people. I think it was just because 
they felt, or people probably felt, you know what, he's all right, he's all right, him. He, you know, he's a nice fella, him. Even when I, that trip, went, when I went to Austria, first pre-season. the first pre-season, I couldn't speak, well, I could speak conversational Spanish, but of course, I was in, I shared a room with Manolo Carnaval, his name was, he couldn't speak a word of English, I couldn't speak a word of Spanish, but... I knew he was a nice lad, and he knew I was a nice lad just by, we'd smile, we'd, you know, do rude hand gestures, you know, we'd say stupid things to each other, but he knew that I was okay. And I'd sit with the lads and have a couple of beers, and I'd just sit in silence, but they knew I was all right, because I went out my way. I didn't go just go and hide in my bedroom. It was like, right, I need to get involved with the lads. So they'd all, ten of them would have a beer and speak Spanish, and I'd just sit there and have a beer with them and smile and, you know, say buenos dias or whatever. They knew without knowing me, because of course I couldn't speak the language, they knew that he's okay. They were the lonely parts, you know, and they'd always invite me, we're going to go to such a place, do you want to come? And I'd go, yep. You know, it was never a case of, oh no, you know what, I'll just, I'll take the easy option, I'll sit in my room and read a book. It was like, yep, we'll go. And you just sit there again, and you laugh and you smile and you try and get involved. But as you know, Spanish people speaking Spanish, even if you understand it, they're that quick, they're speaking slang, they're telling jokes. It's like, sitting with six scousers it's machine it's on impossible. fire it's just, yeah, it's just impossible to understand so you just have to put yourself out there and think you know what this is, this is what I have to do small details are big surfaces tight corners are odd shapes flat rounded textured or tall whatever your next project there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. What were the things that went on in Austria or on trips? Were there pranks? How did you earn your stripes? Yeah. Bring us behind the scenes of that group. I found it quite normal, to be honest. We went out for a meal. I couldn't speak Spanish, sorry. You know, but I had to get up and sing a song. You know, stupid things like that. You did you know, that even like, then? Yeah, initiation. It was, it was very, very funny because Rob Jones, the ex-Liverpool player, fullback, teammate of mine at Liverpool, he was over-visiting and I said to him, we're going out tonight, do you want to come? So he went, yeah, I'll come. So we all had a meal out, you know, the whole team. And he's with me, you know, and people knew him. And we went out and I got up and sang a song. And of course, the Spanish lads didn't have a clue what I was singing. I, 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 I forget what I sung. No, I probably sang the Beatles song. Honestly, I don't. So I sang like a song that. anyway. And then they said to Rob Jones, right, now it's your turn. So he, <laughs> he got up and sung a song as well. Yeah, it was just like that initiation, sing a song. But it wasn't too bad pranks. Like every dressing room, loud ones, quiet ones, you know, people who look in the mirror at themselves all the time, people who were, you know, quite scruffy. And the loud ones were like um, Ivan Alguera was crackers, he was funny. You know, Roberto Carlos, I presume. Oh, so yeah, the, well, the Brazilian lads enjoyed themselves, didn't they, all the time. So I, that whole atmosphere just, it was like going from Liverpool, apart from not learning the language, it was like going from Liverpool dressing room 
to a Spanish type. Is that similar? Yeah, I thought so. Yeah, I thought so. It was. No huge egos. When I got there, I thought, oh, you know, they just won the Champions League. This might be this, or this might be this. But I actually think, I don't want to say the bad apples in the group, but I think the egos in the group, I think, had just left the club. Nucci had just gone. Davor had just gone. Pedder had just gone. I didn't know them, and I know them now, and the great fellas, but there was always rumours about, oh, he likes this, and he likes mm-hmm. to go out there, and he's a bit of a character, and he's this. Clarence had just gone, who, who, who people spoke about, or Clarence does this. and Cla-. So... When I got there, I thought, you know what, this is quite cool, this your, dressing room. Your coach is John Tusha. Tosh, yeah, it was, yeah, it was coach, yeah. Oh, and again, weirdly enough, we go away on pre-season training and pre-season was like a Liverpool pre-season because Tosh is doing a lot of the Liverpool exercises that Ronnie Moran and Roy Evans, all the way back to Bill Shankly, Joe Fagan and Bob Paisley had done. I'm training and we're warming up like a Liverpool warm-up and I'm thinking to myself, I even know all these exercises, you know, I know, I know what routines they're going to be in. I mean, Tosh wasn't around for... A, I think he was around for three or four months, I think Less it was. Than Less season, than that, yeah. And then well, Vincente come in. What almost did for him was, was this famous Madrid derby. The last one that mm. Madrid lost, and at the Bernabeu as yeah, well, yeah. for, I don't know, until Mourinho lost the cup final in 2013. Yeah. Jimmy Floyd scored. Yeah, yeah. I was, I was in, yeah, I was injured, so I never played. But they went through a real sticky patch, when, and I was injured at the time. I think they lost a few games on the bounce, didn't they? I think they lost to, like, Zaragoza. They lost to Jimmy. I remember Jimmy scored. Because I wasn't playing. I started the season, was injured, and then people... You know, when, you know, like it is in football, weirdly enough, when you're not playing and teams are losing, people are like, you need to get back, you need to get back into the team. And that was a real strange first year, that was. Because we had to go to that silly tournament in Brazil, remember... My this is the year bad. that United duck out yes. the FA Cup and you all we go, go and there play. and we all come back and we're in like 15th place in the league and we've got like we have to play like you know 10 games in about 20 days it was just bonkers that year you know Vincente and because the players when, comes, pull it when Dabowski comes in you can't have known anything about him because really maybe you saw him as a footballer when you were very very young but he was certainly he was named as an interim coach mm. there's no concept yeah, yeah, yeah. when he took over that this is a guy who's going to go on and win the Champions League. This is a guy who's going to go on and become a club legend and then fall out of Florentino and manage Spain and win trophies. That was a weird season because... A weird season, Things yeah. were so troubled that John Toshak is sat. The boss comes in as a, as a caretaker. Yeah. And you win the Champions League. It was some struggle, struggle in, battles with Bayern yeah, Munich. Struggles in the league, trying to play catch-up and playing so many games, but really, really clicked in the Champions League at whatever stage it was. I don't even know what stage it was, but really clicked in the Champions League. Do you remember the, the Bayern? Because I think you played Bayern in the groups. We, we played Bayern, Bayern twice and got hammered by them. Thrashed, both. eh? Hammered. And it was a real wake-up call. It was like, wow, these are good. These are good. We played them four times that, that yeah. year. We lost three times to them. And we knocked them out of the Champions League. And we lost three times to them. Convincingly, they had a great team. They had a great team. And we had our battles over... The year later, they knocked us out. We had battles with them. But we'd done it the hard way. I think we beat, we beat United in the quarter final. I can't even remember. We, we beat United, well, it, then Bayern. I, I mean, told you one of our favourite interviews here was with Kevin Bridges. And Kevin's favourite player is Redondo. Ah, oh, yeah. Could, could you play a bit? Brilliant. Tell us. Brilliant. Describe Elegant. Them. Strong. Brave. Give us the ball. I'm going forward. I'm going to move forward. I'm going to start things off. Really, really sad that he left. You know, to, to be voted whatever European Champions League Player of the Year or whatever it was at, the, at that time. And then for him to leave Madrid and get injured and sort of his career just petered out. It was yeah. really, really sad. He was a great player. Was it his? But that was that year of you know Florentino coming in and 
You know, he should he should have still been there now, bloody playing football. He was a great player. He was. But my memory is that sometimes they would ask you to play in that position too. Yeah, yeah. You yeah, I off. played. Yeah, I played in the middle of midfield in the end. Yeah. I mean, in the final, it was me, Fernando, and Raúl in midfield. We're here with. Morientes and Nicholas and Elker up front. When you think of it, that's just a mad formation. <laughs> mad formation. And I was right. like a defensive midfielder with Fernando Redondo with Raúl in sort of in front but, of us. But this is this is Christ's point about Socio de Todos. You, you've talked about what you thought you could offer to players in a better position. There, if a good player is there, given the ball, there's an appreciation now for Sergio Busquets. And what people say about him is, okay, maybe he's a little bit slow, which he is. But at the ball, he always knows two or three moves ahead Absolutely. where it should go. And Absolutely. It's, 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 even if you, you think never, you learn you're about never football. Slow. You're, you're, slow in, yeah, you're slow in a 100-yard race, but you're never slow on the pitch. I watched Ronnie Whelan growing up. He's not the fastest when you think of it, but God, what a player he was. I played with arguably the best, Claude McAlelly. He's not quick over a 20-yard, 30-yard race. Of course you'd beat him in a race. But God bless us, he got in the way of the ball all the time. I'm passing it to somebody across midfield. Makaleli's intercepted it. Ronnie Wheel and Makaleli, they knew just by people's body shape, right, he's going to pass the ball there and I'm there. And they were brilliant at it. In that great Madrid team, when Claude left, it was like, right, that is the beginning of the end, you know, that year. Because everybody said, everybody to a man, who's the most important player in your team? Him. Not Zizou, not Ronnie, not the ones who scored 40 goals a season. The most important player is him, that fella there, that little fella there. Because he was the little cog or screw that made the whole the whole lot watch tick in Absolutely. time all the time. Absolutely. Equilibrium, what, balance? Yeah. Are these the right words? Yeah, yeah. I often wonder if it's a sense of self-sacrifice. Yeah, Because I good players so. like that need Absolutely. to have a football brain and a vision. But you have to say, I'm going to do this for him or for the and team. And that role, I think, it was, has gone... Well, certainly Fontino Pedaf at the time didn't, I don't think, appreciated that role, but everybody on the pitch appreciated it. And people speak about that role now. Yeah. But I, I think back to like Ronnie Whelan and stuff, and I think he had Barnes, he had Rushy, he had this. But I bet you the team thought he was virtually the most important player. And I certainly did with, with Claude. We all speak about Zizou, and, and somebody gets the World Player of the Year this year, and Figo gets it next year, and Ronnie gets it the year after. The good thing about those players you have just mentioned, there was no egos with them. They knew that Claude was the most important player. Zizou knew Claude was the most important player, and that's what I liked. You see what he's done, because Zidane's come back, Florentino's still the president. Mm. Florentino still thinks the same way. Who can I sign to make my company make money in Colombia? Mm. If there's a great Egyptian player or an Icelandic yeah, player. Yeah, we yeah. But, but because Zizou is Zizou, he's been out to say, president, step back, Casemiro plays. I don't care how much you spent on Danilo... Carvajal's the better footballer. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah. Casemiro's got no name, no marketing. He seems like a... I mean, he's a lovely bloke, but he speaks like a, a Brazilian farm boy. Mm-hmm. But he makes my team work, so he plays. Yeah, I'm having I, him, yeah. I love that. That's, that's yeah. verging on what you're saying about they recognise McLeod was most important. Casemiro plays because that gives Hamas or Isco or Cruz yeah. time and space to make the clever passes, to make the front three score the mm-hmm. goals. And it's a system. And I think you're... Well, absolutely, Casemiro went out and loaned, didn't he? Went there, Porto, went there, Porto, went Porto, Porto yeah, come yeah. back, it wasn't good enough. Talking about you there, is he a bit slow? Of course he's slow, he's not quicker than Isco, or well, he might be quicker than Isco, but he's not as quick as Ronnie, or he's not as quick as Gareth. He doesn't need to be, as long as he's in the right place, at the right time, and he doesn't go over there, and he doesn't go over there. So when I know a ball goes over my head, I guarantee that Machalelli will be there, and I guarantee now that Casemiro will be there, and that's all you want him to be. When you had so much ability on the ball, your career rose on probably two things your character saying I'll take responsibility at Liverpool because it is vital that somebody leads and shows and gets the fans with us and maybe brings along players who aren't quite as good you had 
huge ability. I don't know if it was all practised, if it was inherent, natural. When you're asked to go into central midfield, whether it's organising or whether it's taking the ball and driving from centre midfield, it's a big change. Yeah. Were you bothered that you're no longer in the showroom window? No, no, it never bothered me, actually, because I always knew there was more to it. There was more to it. Luis Figo was a better... At Liverpool, I was possibly the best dribbler around at Liverpool, the team I played in. Certainly when I left, you know, they gave it to me and I had to make things happen. Where I knew that I could give it to him, he can make things happen. You know, if he's in a better position, as I said before, I'll give it to him. If he's one-on-one and that left-back's not very good and he's skipped past them straight away, my only thought is that's their weakness. Give it to him because he'll skip past them again. So it was never, it was never a case of that. I, I never had that ego where it was like, right, football is all about finding weaknesses in the opposition. And if the weakness was the left-back, I'd give it to Luis. If it was the right-back and Zizou skipped past them or whoever skipped past them or Roberto Carlos was two on one all the time it was like right that's their weakness we need to feed him the ball if it was in the middle of the field we'd, we'd, do it, we'd drive through ourselves but when I played at Liverpool if I played right wing for instance and I thought you know whoever we played if I ran at the left back and went past them I'd think right that's it now you know someone would know right give him the ball give him the ball and my team would give me the ball as, as often as I could I'd stay isolated I'd stay one on one and the, the shout would be give him the ball and that's exactly the same at Madrid. Where's their weakness? Their weakness is there today. Boom. And whoever was playing there, get at them. And we have players that more often than not would, would get at them and would take them on. Talking about taking people on, how good's your memory? I remember being at, um, I was just moving out here, renting a flat, and I happened to be covering the Champions League semi final. They drew it as a classical. I think it was the first time the two of them had been drawn in Europe since something like 63 when Barcelona had knocked out the reigning champions room and then gone on to lose themselves. You come to the camp now, it's Vincente del Bosque. Charlie Rexach on the bench for Barcelona. You went 2 0, two fabulous goals. It looked like a game plan where Dubosky said, oh, They're not that good. Yeah, we'll yeah, let yeah. them come on, we'll yeah, let them yeah. come in, and then we'll sucker punch them yeah. because we're not looking for a nil nil. It looked to me as if you all knew probably you'd win, win. with that tactic. Yeah, yeah. Do you remember the goal, your goal? Yeah, I remember the goal. I, I don't remember, I mean, I remember it, of course, I've seen it. Can't remember what I was thinking at the time, but. I'll never forget, funny enough, the celebrations afterwards, and I, I presume you needed to be Spanish and you, preferably you needed to be from Madrid because my teammates went mad in the dressing room after the game. I mean, it was a big moment because it was the semi-final and you've won away from home in the first leg, of course it is. But it was like they'd won the trophy. It was like they were... I think it was the first time we'd won there in a while. I'm not even sure. I always remember the celebrations because I was sort of mobbed in the dressing room <laughs> because, because of the second goal. And I'm like, yeah, great, yeah, we've won, you know, hopefully that'll see us, you know, we've got the second leg, but we should be all right, 2 nils a great league. So I'm thinking about getting to the final, again, getting to the final, getting to the final, but they were just as happy as I've ever seen them, the fact that they'd beat Barca there at the stadium, because we'd had the, the years of Luis with the pig's head and the having to come off at stages, and you think, this is, this is just the weirdest place in the world, this. I'd never experienced violence like that, going to... At that stage, it was proper hatred, oh, it? it? was awful. I thought it was awful. Ugly. Smashing of the bus windows. I mean, it was disgusting, really. Yeah. And I thought to myself, if this happened in, in England, there'd be bloody... Six o'clock news, yeah, nine yeah. o'clock news, arrest. The parliament, the, how's the parliament be talking about it? But it was like normal. Police running alongside the bus with guns and stuff. I'm thinking to myself, what on earth? But, um, yeah, I'll never forget the celebrations after that because I remember them more vividly than ever winning a trophy. And it really? was one game, the Spanish lads, gutties, the Raouls were like so happy that we'd beaten them. It was a very, very elegant goal. And I thought it was really cold-blooded. You know, you, you, you break away, the, the, the team's tactics are coming through and the finish is gorgeous. I think it was a better goal even than he scored in Paris, which I think you've described as probably your happiest moment or your best moment. Yeah, or... just that 
Well, scoring a final is scoring in a final. Well, scoring in a final. The cap now is, is yeah, yeah. gorgeous. Listen, mate, the main things that we won, I couldn't care less and about scoring. this lack of ego thing again. No, but yeah. I couldn't care less about scoring goals and losing games. It means nothing to me. I scored two at Wembley and we won the fight, but we won the trophy. That's all that matters. Winning and scoring in the, in the final, it was my first year in Madrid. You know, it was sort of... People are always questioned, why is he gone? Why has he left the Premier League? You know, and you sort of... Real Madrid were not on television every single week like they are now. So you sort of... You are gone. You've gone. You know, so people don't know what you're doing. They just like snippets now and again. Oh, oh yeah. And, and next minute, you've won 3-0 in the, in the final. And everybody's like, ah, that's why, he's, <laughs> that's why he left. Because, of course, it was really hard for me to leave Liverpool. And, you know, people didn't like the fact that I left Liverpool and I left on a free and... Well, it was jealousy or, of course, or well, I think so. anger. Or... Jealous, bit of anger. I mean, I always found it fine within Liverpool, but you know, people always tried to make a big deal of it back then. But then a year later, or even nine months later, people are like, "Ah, that's why he left. He's just won the Champions League." And it was my first year of ever playing in the Champions League and playing against the best players in the world. So to score, to win, I score and turn and run over to where my father is and all that. And you know, nine months prior, he's just lost his son, as in me. Go to a foreign country. He's just lost his wife. So my dad's there were like 19 or 17, 18, 19 of my mates' family. So I ran over to them and sort of celebrated. And I saw them later on. You know, that's what that's what it's all about. Zidane arrives, Ronaldo arrives. I'm not asking which is the better player, but it must have felt like a bit of a privilege to watch. They were both really elegant footballers. But I always remember speaking to Albert Delades at the time. Albert under 21 he, coach for Spain yes, now. now yeah. yeah, and he played with Ronnie at. Barcelona, yeah, yeah, yeah. Before yeah. he came to Madrid. And he said, you know, at the time, he said he was just the most amazing thing he's ever seen in his life. And that, that summed it up for me. I mean, I, I think he's the most incredible footballer anyway. But he turns up at Madrid and, of course, the injuries he's had and the scars on his knees, you knew that he couldn't possibly be the same player as he was, you know, at Barca at mm-hmm. 19 and when he was with Bobby Robson and stuff. But he said, you know, at training, he said you just could not get the ball off him. And that said it all for me. He didn't have to, he didn't have to say anything else. For a passer like you, what was Ronaldo's movement like? Really? Did you try and describe what you saw when he moved? He was just like proper centre-forwards are, like Robbie Fowler was. It was just all natural. It was just all instinct, you know, and good players knew whether he was coming and whether he was going to flip around the side. You know, you knew what he was going to do. He always played on that line of, I could be offside if you don't give it quick enough, but I'm going to be right on that line where I'm going to be quicker than that defender. People don't score that many goals if they're not, you know, just naturally quick in the mind. He had a really hard time, Zizou, initially, didn't he? A Jeez, really hard oh, time. A few months, there was yeah. even... It's not funny, booing, though, it reminds was... me a bit now of, um, of Pogba at Man United. We, you sort of bring him in, and it's like, God, where do we put him? Because yeah. I remember Zizou playing in about four or five different places. We were sticking him in every position, trying to make him play well, and it wasn't happening. He was struggling at left side of midfield, or he was struggling for the number 10 role, because we had a very fluid team anyway, you see, and he was getting in the way at times, and it was like, wow... You know, when's he gonna? He showed us in training he was elegant and he could play, but it was like, right, you know, when's he gonna do it? And it was like that final happens, and it was like, ah, you know, <laughs> that's what he does. That, and then from then on, I mean, it probably it was probably prior to that, but that final, it was like, ah, this is why he's the greatest player ever. And then he really, really flourished. Then you talked about the players being the powerful ones. I remember you told me a story about the, having Yarrow and Raul deciding that you, you weren't gonna do a lap of one after winning the title. It was a fallout with the club or fall out with the local council mm. I think people will find it extraordinary to know that you as a group 
kind of defied Florentino because you yeah. weren't allowed to go. What, what was the story? You win the title. We win the title. Uh, you know what? I still don't really know what it is now, but it certainly had something to do with the council and going round and not going to the Bellas and not going a lap of honour. And it was just a lot, you know, really spoilt what should have been a really good evening. You know, we were having meetings at four in the morning in the restaurants about after winning the league, are we going to go round the... The Bellas is the, is the beautiful fountain yeah. statue so, so I actually, in the middle of Madrid where yeah. the Madrid fans celebrate, right? Celebrate, yeah, which is quite organised now when they celebrate again. I think we were the catalyst a lot, our group of players that changed, not changed Madrid forever, but changed a lot of what goes on now. But I still probably to this day, this story is probably wrong, but we were still having meetings about all our captains were about whether we were going to go round. And I've got friends there. Robbie Fowler was there. I've got friends, and I want to go and celebrate. We just won the league. But three o'clock in the morning, four o'clock in the morning, we're still having, having meetings about, are we going to do this? I remember going to a, like a, a nightclub afterwards with my wife and my friends and having a drink and stuff. And I think it was like seven o'clock in the morning. Somebody said to me, we are going around the city now. And I'm like, what? I think Raul came in. We are going to go around the city now. And I'm like, oh, okay then. But that was the, you know, as I said, that was the beginning of the end, really. Fernando had been promised a new contract and suddenly he was out. Treated abominably, yeah. in my yeah, view. Yeah, yeah, I, agree, I agree. The next you. day, Vincente was, was out for, again, an obscure reason. And I just thought to myself, you know what? This is not the place to be. And then, of course, Carlos Quiroz come in further down the line. Man United number two was managing Real Madrid. No disrespect to him, but, you know, we were the best team in the world. It, you could just see what was happening and it was like... A change of priority. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very much so. It wasn't about win, win, win. No. And suddenly it was about it was Martin, about, Martin, Martin. And, and if also, you win as well. Yeah, it was like, you know, Vincente Del Bosco has just won the Champions League twice. Has just won the league. You know, we won other cups and you can't just get rid of them a day after winning the league. Well, what's the next, what was the excuse? The excuse was, I don't know, the players were too powerful, I think it was, was at the time. Madrid went through their... You know, five managers Florentino in five minutes. Resign, mm. saying I've spoiled the players, they didn't win trophies between 2003 and 2009, or whatever it might be. It was a bad move. For the first time in this uh, podcast, which is now ending, I wish it was visual so I could say, look, here's the sheet where I sign up to the Steve McManaman doctrine of football because, <laughs> baby, you've got it and you talk it right to yeah. Thanks, dude. Cheers, mate. Gracias. Thank you for listening to The Big Interview. It's produced by me, which sounds egotistical, but it's also true. Graham Hunter and Backpage. Our music is by Beer Jacket, who else? Editing by Charlie McGarry. Thank you to our hosts at Acast and our loyal sponsors at Bet365. We're also supported by our socios. Find out how to become a socio, how to support us at patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter. Here endeth the lesson. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.